0: Now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling rockabilly track. Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now enrolling you into Dr. Jones history courses. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the amazing nerd show.
1: Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. Alright, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down Episode 3 of Secret Invasion. We also have a review for The Witcher Season 3, Part 1. Along with a review for
2: Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and the latest in AEW. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though, if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tier's benefits as well. That's
1: right, Christian. We have over 20 Best and the Worst of the Week episodes up. And we also have Better Late Than Never reviews for things like Season 2 of The Bad Batch, uh, Megan, and Men. Along with
2: anime reviews. You can find our Patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com amazingnerdshow but all right, with that said, let's get into the
1: news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerddom. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions.
0: Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned.
1: All right, up first, we got a casting update for the upcoming Fantastic Four film. The potential casting
2: rumors for Adam Driver and Margot Robbie leading the Fantastic Four may be dead in the water this week as industry insider Casey Walsh claimed both have dropped out of the film with no real clarification as to why just yet. However, it may be because Disney is simply going in a different direction as industry insider Daniel Richmond this week brought a new potential casting for Sue Storm to the table as Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning star Vanessa Kirby may have been offered the role instead. There's been no official you know, statements from Disney Marvel, but Casey Walsh speculates that all roles are still very much in flux at this time.
1: The film is currently slated for May 2nd, 2025. So when it comes to Adam Driver, I was secretly hoping that they like came to their senses and decided to cast him as Dr. Doom instead of Reed. Um, but it sounds like he's just dropped out of the project completely. Now, I'm not going to lie, I'm not familiar with Vanessa Kirby at all. I had to uh, go onto her IMDb page, and that's not a bad thing. It is what it is, but Mm. like she's just been in a bunch of films that you know I would never go see. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like uh, what Mission Impossible and what else was on there, Christian? Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely, films not in my wheelhouse. So, uh, do you know her work at all? Um, I've seen a couple of those
2: films on her list, but I can't remember her from them, so I, okay. I can't can't say I know.
1: So maybe she's playing more supporting roles. Yeah, um, you know it is what it is. I'm sure she's a tremendous actress. If they're even you know thinking about casting her, so mm. um, she was in the Crown, and that's critically acclaimed. I've just I've Damn. never seen it, so. But yeah, I mean, it feels like we're getting weekly updates when it comes to this movie. Um, I'm sure that's not going to stop anytime soon. Uh, and right now with the writer's strike going on, they have pretty much all the time in the world, you know, to, to exactly. you know cast this thing. So it is what it is. No rush. I mean, they're not even doing San Diego this year. So, I mean, there's no pressure to have like some kind of big announcement or anything. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, you could tell by all the news this week that, you know, pretty much everything's on hold, Hollywood-wise. Um, right now. All right, well, up next, we got confirmation on the return of Doctor Strange. During an interview on the JW3 Speaker
2: Series, Benedict Cumberbatch proclaimed his official return to the role of Doctor Strange would begin in 2024, in various capers in the making. While he did state he'd love to do another Doctor Strange film, he did not confirm a third installment for the character just
1: yet. The fact that he's returning is really no big surprise. Um, I think the headline really is like, that he'll be filming something in 2024 right mm-hmm. um because i don't even know what's on the slate at that point that he could be part of um unless they start filming uh king dynasty at that point or you know maybe he's doing a cameo and something else that we don't know about um but like what king got pushed back to like 2026 or 2027 yeah. i mean
2: fantastic four is 2025
1: Okay. Um, I mean, who knows? It could be just like a brief cameo, or you know, a mid-credit scene or end-credit scene, you know, something like that. But with you know the MCU schedule in flux right now, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint what exactly he would be part of, um, you know, during that time frame. Well, sticking with the MCU, we also have a big rumor for Deadpool three. The list of
2: rumored stars for the highly anticipated Deadpool three seems to keep growing as now industry insider My Time to Shine, Hello, claims Channing Tatum has already filmed a scene for the film where he will finally get to play Gambit, in which he was actually attached to the character for a role as Gambit back in 2014, only to have that solo film officially canceled in 2019. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised if X-Men Origins Gambit, as played by Taylor Kitsch, also showed up in the film, which is slated for a May 3rd, 2024 release. So I guess
1: like Gambit has been a dream role for Tatum, like he was super passionate about the character and trying to get that film like off the ground, Mm -hmm. um, you know. Previously, so uh, I'm not surprised that he'd be willing to you know you know do Deadpool three even if it's just like a cameo type deal. I mean, with the amount of characters rumored to be in this movie, you gotta figure that's all it is, right? Because we've heard like everyone at this point (laughs) like everyone who's ever played like a marvel character in the past you know especially a lot of characters and roles that weren't affiliated with you know the mcu it sounds like they're almost giving those characters like a swan song Um, If you will, you know, because we've heard everyone from like, you know, the the original Fantastic Four cast, um, you know, a lot of like the original like X-Men actors like, you know, Patrick Stewart and Halle Berry, Ian McKellen. Like, I mean, everyone pretty much. Ben Affleck, right? So why not have like, you know, Channing? So why not throw Channing Tatum? in for good measure I mean at this point
2: and this just in actually uh Jennifer Gardner according to the Hollywood Reporter will also be back to reprise her role as Electra which you know just makes sense if Ben Affleck is actually returning as Daredevil they'll probably just do a scene with both of them showing up at the same time and honestly at this point this size of a cast sounds like they could do their all their own on your left sequence you know
1: <laughs> I could see them doing a spoof of that, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it is Deadpool, so. <laughs> uh, we did get a look at Deadpool's uh, costume this uh, week, and it looks like every other, you know, Deadpool costume. Uh, I was
2: about to say, you can't really change too yeah, much about I that. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks brighter, <laughs> but it is what it uh-huh. is.
1: And I will say, like, the, the costume of the sequel was, like, a darker tone, but, like, you're not going to change what works, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Now, fingers cross we're getting reports that Hugh Jackman will be suiting up this time around and he will be wearing a traditional Wolverine costume Uh, I don't know man I'm excited for that if it's true now here's a question that we got from a friend of the show Wolver Steve Uh, go ahead and follow him on Instagram or you know all your favorite social media platforms he's a huge wolverine cosplayer um but he was wondering whether or not we preferred the brown costume or the yellow tiger stripe costume
2: i feel like just when i picture wolverine i always picture the yellow and blue that's just what immediately comes to my mind
1: i agree 100 percent. I, I think i I'd, I'd want to see the yellow costume first um you know that's that was my introduction to Wolverine uh mm. back in the day through like the X-Men classic comic books um there were basically like you know reprints of you know the the all new all different X-Men um so i yeah i want to i want to see yellow and you know blue now i could see them going brown just because it might you know be less you know garish <laughs> on film but yeah i, I want to see the yellow and just a quick reminder if you ever have any questions that you want us to answer on the show go ahead and you know dm us or we do weekly posts sometimes asking for questions because uh, we'd like to do like a q a segment you know, monthly at least you know on the podcast so feel free to you know reach out give us a few questions well up next we've got some do news
2: Deadline this week ahead of Dune Part 2's release states that Legendary Pictures and Warner Bros. you know have actually already greenlit a Part 3 for the Dune franchise, starring Timothy Chalamet. This third film would be a story focused on the Dune Messiah book from 1969. While this hasn't been confirmed by Warner, the report claims that Villeneuve would of course remain on as director. Deadline also reiterated that there's still a you know Dean prequel show in the works for Max called Dune the Sisterhood. Um, taking place about 10,000 years before the events of the film. No release date has been confirmed for the show, but Dune Part Two is still on its way coming this year on November 3rd.
1: So I know like jack shit about the Dune books, uh, but the trailer for the sequel looks amazing. I did enjoy Villeneuve's you know, first film. So I don't know, I'm all on board. Uh, you know, it's not my money, right? <laughs> uh, so this was actually green lit by Warner Brothers. At least that's the yes. rumor. Mm-hmm. okay okay so I, I i just could see warner brothers like if if the sequel doesn't do well in the box office you know absolutely changing their mind especially after the disaster that the flash was you know exactly. box office wise so um because you know these aren't cheap what no make no these. absolutely not <laughs> and we really have no gauge on how the uh you know the first film did uh at the box office because it was a day-in-day release type deal where, you know, it premiered in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time because it was in the middle of the pandemic. So, you know, who the hell knows how it's going to do? But, you know, I'm on board. All right. Last but not least, we got some Stranger Things season five news.
2: Netflix this week announced that the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane and Hulu's Prey, Dan Trechenberg, is on to direct an episode of Stranger Things 5. It hasn't been announced what episode in the season just yet. But you got to hope that
1: it's the one with Linda Hamilton, right? Especially after his work on Prey. I just recently rewatched Prey and it's got to be my, you know, favorite Predator sequel, um, at this point. Oh, absolutely. Um, It's an absolute crime that it didn't get a theatrical run. Um, and I, I don't believe it's even on like Blu-ray right now. So I definitely need to get like some kind of like physical, like media release, you know, for that film. Um, because, like I said, it, it is a damn good movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm glad that, you know, he's getting work. And hopefully, you know, he gets more work. Because, I mean, the dude is definitely talented. He also did 10 Cloverfield Lane, right? Yes, yes, he did. I mean, he's a talented director. So I'm glad he's getting to work on the show. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear his name popping up, you know, more and more. All right, briefly, Christian, we also got a trailer for the nun, too.
2: Something doesn't feel right.
0: Sophie, what happened?
2: I think there's something here that's not meant to be. What did you
0: see? I
1: saw none. So watching this trailer, I was totally like, did they de-age Vera Farmiga? Like, <laughs> I I forgot that it was her sister that was in this film. Um, her younger, like much younger sister, I think by like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to think like James Wan looks at her and is like conjuring you know, prequel, like that that has (laughs) to be a thing,
2: right? It's very possible.
1: You know, like he could do a whole like, you know, like when the Warrens first meet or something like that and their love story, Uh, but she looks exactly like her sister, Um, just, you know, younger. Uh, But yeah, you know, she's back. She was in the original. Um, This pretty much looks, you know, paint by numbers, kind of like the original um which was just you know a jump scare fest um i didn't hate the original at all um you know it it was kind of a simple fun you know horror film i liked the gothic feel of it all it was kind of hammer-esque um in a way uh so am i gonna be running to the theaters to see this probably not um like this whole trailer seemed to be centered around you know a couple jump scares um, which was very similar to how the first film was. So, um, But yeah, you know, the the nun, Valak, has attached itself to uh, Farmiga's character um, and followed her to another church, basically. And now it seems like it's tormenting a group of, you know, young students there. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I said
2: very like paint by number I don't know any thoughts Christian I think what was fun about uh, the introduction to Valak was just like you know them putting in like oh what's her name and stuff in the background so I was kind of hoping that if they were to return to this character they would probably do a bit more mystery behind it than just you know the fact that it's her killing people left and right
1: but. well I mean This trailer definitely teases some kind of secret being, you know, uh, revealed here. So Mm. maybe you'll get your wish. Um, (laughs) But I thought we had a big reveal with the last film where we got her, like, backstory and origin. (laughs) Honestly, I don't either, but I know they, like, took a deep dive into her origin story, Mm. um, and that's how they ended up, like, defeating her somehow. I I believe that's what happened, unless I'm thinking of a totally different film, which I might be, where we hear a voiceover saying that, you know, she was an angel who's, like, fallen, and, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's all cryptic shit that you hear in, like, every other, Uh you know, religious-based horror film. They're definitely not, like, reinventing the wheel at all. Um, But, you know, will I see this? Maybe. Um, It is on my birthday, so probably not opening weekend. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe the next weekend or, you know, if it has a short enough, like, theatrical window, you know, whenever it hits streaming. um, We'll see. But for those of you that want to see
2: it on day one, it comes out September 8th.
0: And now for the Nerds review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Light spoilers ahead!
1: And now, our feature presentation!
0: I'm retiring. Well, in that case, what are we drinking?
2: Same for the goddaughter.
1: Dad told me you found something on a train during the war. A
0: dial that could change
1: the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy?
0: No move. I need to get out of here. Stop. Sorry. Helena.
2: Doctor Jones,
0: get him. Ah,
2: Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was directed by James Mangold and stars Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and Mads Mikkelsen. This installment comes 14 years after the tragedy that was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a film that definitely left a bad impression on the Indiana Jones franchise. And while this still very much feels like a sequel to that film, Um, It's a modern take on Indiana Jones that has strong character development while still capturing the feel of the original trilogy. Before the release, uh, because it had been quite a you know few years since I actually watched any of the um, Indiana Jones films I decided to rewatch the first three and I have to say I think my nostalgia for them maybe made me a little bit blind to some of its flaws as rewatching them there were definitely moments I remember being much better as a kid and definitely some things that probably don't hold up today. One of my biggest complaints i'd say uh, coming from the original films was its lack of good supporting characters which i'm sure may sound kind of sacrilegious for most fans the first two films um, with Marion and sal and then willie and short round were just either weak performances or just poorly written characters altogether so for me getting into this new adventure i felt that our supporting cast here actually was on par in both story development and performance to Harrison Ford's Indie, and would even go as far to say that Phoebe Waller Bridge as Helena Shaw had some big scene stealing moments across from the legendary Ford. She was the scoundrel that was in it for all the wrong reasons, which is a type of character that plays off well with you know Indy's preservation of history style. Phoebe and Ford had dynamite chemistry, as she and her sidekick Teddy, as played by Ethan um, Isidore, felt like the greedy versions of you know Indy and in Short Round. Ford himself, as this much older version of Indiana Jones, was just the right amount of old man in a young man's game, you know, that type of character in this film. And while it's clear Ford couldn't do a lot of the physical stunts for this film, he makes up for it in you know this awesome performance that he really, this awesome performance that really ties together the last four films of his adventure. This was honestly some of the strongest writing in an Indiana Jones film, so I have to give them credit where it's due. I just think my biggest drawbacks come you know down to lack of time for the villains and heavy reliance on cgi as far as mads mickelson as dr Voller, i felt you know his performance was there but the script and perhaps you know the cut of the film didn't do enough outside of you know making him just your standard nazi not that being a nazi isn't you know bad enough but there was nothing there that really made me feel like he was a true menace to indiana jones Um, But looking back, I can't say any of the villains were all that strong in the Indiana Jones franchise. I mean, Bellic and Tot were decent in the first film, and I'd say these Nazis kind of live up to that. I guess I was hoping for a little bit more out of our villains um, than them just being pretty much wannabe Nazis upset about losing the war. Um, I didn't hate anything about it, but definitely left a lot to be desired there as far as the villain side of things. But hey, they all got punched in the face at least once, right? Now to the effects. At times, it was pretty impressive how well young Harrison Ford looked in the film. I mean, during these flashback moments, um, it, it was pretty incredible how solid some of these animations were. But the more, you know, movement there was, the more action there was, the weaker the CGI started to look. Uh, this is clearly an improvement from everything that we've seen out of Disney over the last few years. I mean, from kind of the shaky look that we got of Luke in uh, Mandalorian to now this definitely shows a grand improvement to their CGI effects with de-aging. I mean, there was some genuine times during the opening scenes that you can easily forget that, that you're looking at a CGI rendering. But right now, I feel like, you know, this heavy use of this technology starts to play its hand when the technology just isn't there just yet. I feel like if you give it a couple more years, we'll be at a point where you know this will be completely unrecognizable to regular film. But right now, it just wasn't holding up to the point where it wasn't distracting for me. Um, there was also this really weird running shot that they did on top of the train that was CGI and just unexcusable but really the effects are a little bit more of a nitpick with this film compared to what I would say I went through with The Flash. I mean sure this film does have that similar issue with you know them putting Harrison Ford's face on top of a stunt actor in um, in his later years where it just feels like the lighting is you know very off. You really see it during that subway sequence that you saw from the trailers with him on the horse. It was nowhere to the degree of flash where, you know, every movement and whole action sequences were nothing but that. You know, here it was way less distracting and didn't overall hurt the film for me nearly to that degree. Um, But with John Williams' score blasting through and Indy solving another great mystery, the nostalgia for this franchise is definitely there. And while there are plenty of callbacks and nods to the journey he's had along the way, along with, you know, former characters making cameos, I just never felt like it took away from the experience or or ever bogged it down too much with nostalgia. You know, nothing took away from all the things that they brought in that was brand new to the franchise. And I was very happy with the overall story and performances that we got from this new cast. Sure, the CGI just isn't 100%, but I will settle for 80% at this time. So I will be giving Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny a B plus, and I highly recommend it to anyone who's been a fan of the character over the years.
0: And now for the nerds' breakdown of episode 3 of Marvel's Secret Invasion. Spoilers ahead, you have been warned. That's what this is all about, is it? you're going to take our people to the edge of extinction with a war with the humans. All these miscreants know is murder. Look how they treat each other.
1: That's what's going to happen.
0: We're going to murder them all.
1: You don't understand the first thing about humans. They're at their most formidable
2: when they're threatened. The episode this week kicks off with Gravik's next plan in motion. Beto, the new recruit, and a couple of other scrolls along with Gravik's right hand man, take up documents for who they will be turning into. Meanwhile, Gravik brings down the council before the machine we discovered last week as he explains to them, you know, his plan to turn not a few but every scroll into a super scroll to deal with the heroes and pick apart, you know, the humans from both sides to ensure their annihilation.
1: Yeah, I mean it's definitely gotta be a terrifying thought, you know, to have an army of super scrolls. Uh, in the comics, originally, there was one Super Scroll, you know, not an entire <laughs> military force. So, uh, yeah, the Avengers would definitely have their hands full. Now, later on in the books, of course, there were more and more, I believe, like, you know, scrolls with, you know, Super Scroll type powers. But yeah, you no, know, originally there was just one. And that was enough. I just wonder if like if there's more facilities with these
2: like chambers to make them into super scrolls, especially since we know that there's like a million on this planet. Technically, I know there's not like a million maybe working for his forces. but
1: Well, I- I'm guessing that. It, yeah, I'm guessing that he's just talking about the soldiers in mm-hmm. his army, you know, turning them into super scrolls, not like every civilian, um, you know, scroll civilian that is. And just by the way that they've talked about like this technology, I'm guessing this is probably the only one of its kind right now, um, especially since we know the scientist is just kind of like, you know, discovered how to do all of this, mm-hmm. um, you know, so but I could be wrong. Who knows? We then cut back to
2: 1998, where we witness what seems to be the first inclination of flirting between Nick Fury and his future wife, Vara, as she passes him, you know, intel for a mission at a diner. Uh, We then jump to the present, however, to find Fury cooking for Vara as she finally questions his, you know, sudden return. The conversation takes a turn when Fury questions who his wife has become in his absence as she speaks of how, you know, she first had to grieve over him getting blipped then having him return without helping her
1: get through any of that grief and immediately go to space. Yeah, I mean, this was a super tense, you know, scene, and this was just a super tense episode in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that Fury has dealt or not dealt with the aftermath of the blip is really like, you know, driven a wedge between a lot of his like closest allies. I'm glad that they attached this flashback scene uh, to this moment also because I feel like it adds a lot of like context to their relationship um, since it's, you know, brand new to us, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm just kind of waiting for a deeper explanation to like why Fury did what he did, which is basically abandon like his friends and family and, you know, earth. (laughs)
2: <laughs> this conversation does get cut short, though, when Varad receives a call and seems to be very hesitant while on the phone in front of Fury, which Nick Fury definitely notices as he stares at her phone after she leaves it on the
1: kitchen counter. How close is Fury really to his wife? The fact that he just like basically comes out and accuses her of like, you know, working with Gravik. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know. <laughs> It's like, Fury is uh, just a, a cold-blooded bastard sometimes, right? Like, he's got some nerve, like, you know, being off-planet for a couple years and then only to come back and make, like, big
2: accusations. I mean, I guess the conversation he had with Talos last week uh, really shook him up this time because, I mean, he found out there's a million scrolls. Maybe he just doesn't know the scope of how much
1: has changed. I guess, but this is still your wife. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I do have theories on the phone call, too, but, I mean, we'll talk about that later on. We cut to Gravik
2: waking up Gaia to ask her about what really happened during last week's episode, as only the people on the mission knew where their hideout was going to be. Gaia claims Brogan, the scroll who was being interrogated and tortured, gave an educated guess as a lie, and Gravik seems to just run with that answer as they have another mission to go on. Yeah, he absolutely doesn't believe her, though, right? No, but I do. You, I don't feel like I needed that that moment. Like, I feel like I already know he doesn't believe her, and I don't think I needed him like being like, "Hey,
1: are you sure?" You know, are you sure? I think it's just to add tension, but I get, I get what you're saying. Uh It is a little redundant. I mean, especially with what we get later on in the episode. Gaia then
2: drives Gravik to the meeting that Talos made with him. But during that ride, Gravik, you know, mentions a part of their new plan to strike down a fighter jet while in a car before arriving at the art museum. Which during the whole sequence, I was like, girl, don't do it. It's way too obvious that if you take this information, he's clearly saying in front of you and spread it out, it's, it's clearly you. Yeah, I mean, it does feel
1: like a huge setup, like right Uh. off the bat. You're like, okay, he's he's definitely trying to, like, you know, feed you some information to, you know, to, to get you to show your hand and, you know. Obviously like she has no choice but to take the bait though, right? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise what, it's it's like nuclear war, right? I <laughs> so, guess, yeah. It is what it is. I mean, it is kind of like the perfect setup.
2: At this art museum, Talos and Gravik have their face to face while, you know, Gaia stays in the car. Here, Talos attempts to talk down Gravik from his, you know, drastic plans here. But Gravik waves the fact that he's using Talos's daughter for his misdeeds in Talos's face which you know, angers him enough to try and attack Gravik. But that's when we find out that everyone here was actually planted by Gravik as a bunch of scrolls begin shape-shifting and stand ready to fight.
1: Yeah, shape-shifting as Gravik. Um, yes. <laughs> this was a tremendous scene. Uh, the performances, the dialogue, everything was on point here. And I love how, like, unhinged Talos got when Gravik, like, even mentioned Gaia's name. It's really a side of the character we haven't seen before. I mean, Gravik's definitely not cut out of the same cloth that uh, Flag Smasher is from uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, You know, he he doesn't give a shit about the human race. Uh, You know, he's not some misguided villain here. He wants to see all of us burn. I do feel like we're gonna eventually get some kind of, like, flashback scene to see, like, what brought him to this why he has so much like vitriol towards us it has to have been some type of mission that he was put yes. on by fury that that's my guess too
2: while talos at this time stands down he claims there's no way for Gravik, you know to win this as he will make sure every armed force in the world knows who their real enemy is and which scrolls are with Gravik. But again, Gravik goes on to taunt him by invoking Gaia's name. Talos, really unafraid of the situation he's in, stabs Gravik's hand into the table and makes his exit. After which Gravik removes the blade and it seems like Extremis is already there beginning to you know heal his hand, based off you know, the CG effect there.
1: Well, hopefully the scroll scientist has that shit under control and he doesn't just like blow up eventually. Because
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredibly unstable by the end yes, of Iron 3. Yes, in Iron Man, Man, 3. Man 3, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Outside, a man runs into Talos and knocks a phone to the ground, and Talos picks it up. Gravik, who spotted the tail end of this moment, follows the mysterious gentleman who bumped into Talos, but as a bus gets in between them, Gravik only finds Gaia waiting at the car as the bus passes. We later find Talos eating at a pub where Nick Fury makes his appearance, much to Talos' dismay. Clearly, Fury is here to, you know, ask for Talos' help, as he's learned of scrolls hiding out in some of the British Navy. But his pride is making it a bit hard for him to just outright tell Talos that he needs him. But Talos sticks to his ground, stating, you know, he won't help Fury until he formally states that he needs him and is absolutely useless without Talos, in which
1: Fury reluctantly admits. Fury's a needy bitch, right? Right? Like, I mean, what has it been, like 24 hours? Uh Uh-huh. And he's like come crawling back already after he like kicked him off the fucking train. I mean, Jesus Christ. As you said earlier, nuclear war is at stake here. I guess. But later on, they talk about it like just like how much has Fury really relied on the scrolls, you know, throughout his entire career to like really help him get the job done. Uh, You know, if this is any example of it, it seems like a whole lot. Yeah, it starts to sound like Berea Hill's assumption
2: that he's the man that's always two steps ahead uh, might be a little wrong if it's just
1: the scrolls doing all the like heavy lifting. Yeah, I mean, Fury's definitely not afraid to use a motherfucker, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional basis every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and immune system support, but I hated taking vitamins every single day, and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great, and that's when I discovered AG1. I've started
2: drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day, and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I've found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit.
1: Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even helped improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins probiotics, and whole food source nutrients.
2: AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day. AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better
1: without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single-serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice-cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple.
2: If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first. Purchase. All you have to do is head over to
1: drinkag1.com slash nerd show. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerd show. That's drinkag1.com slash nerd show and check it out. And
2: now back to our breakdown. Having been given intel from Gaia on the phone that she passed outside the art museum, Talos informs Fury of the, you know, the Neptune submarine plan. Fury then calls in to Sonia to ask what she knows about the British submarine Neptune. While Sonia fixes the owl that Fury bugged, she gives him the name and location of Robert Fairbanks and where the British naval barracks are. On the drive there, Fury trivializes you know, his relationship with Talos to something like taking care of a dog and its mess but Talos shoots back with the facts on how Fury became the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. as through the help of his invisible spy network with the scrolls, Fury was able to reach new heights in his career than he ever could without them. Like, how
1: dare you? (laughs) 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 This man pretty much like handed you your career. Cause if you really think about it, like Talos brings it up later on, but like in Captain Marvel, Fury was like a desk jockey pretty much, right? I mean, he was definitely a lower ranking S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. So, I mean, yeah, like he's comparing him to a fucking dog. Really? I mean, mean, if I didn't know any better, I would think Fury's a scroll here trying to manipulate Talos into joining, you know, (laughs) Graphic, Jesus.
2: But you got to admit Mendelssohn is killing it in
1: this episode. Like every little like clap back at Fury has been fantastic. No, they have a lot of chemistry Mm -hmm. on screen. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, Sam Jackson's been fantastic too. Uh, you know, it, you, I love getting a taste of jewels here and there, like, especially uh-huh. like throughout <laughs> this episode, or I, or I should just say Sam Jackson beat Sam Jackson, uh-huh. really. Uh, but no, I mean, like I said the, before, the dialogue is just fantastic, you know, across the board, um, you know, with this series.
2: Talos and Fury then break into, you know, Naval Command where Talos, you know, heads in first as he realizes that they're dealing with some scrolls here, but still Talos Talos makes his way to Commandant Fairbanks' office. Fury then gets a message from Talos, addressing him as Nick, claiming he's got Fairbanks, but as Fury heads into the office, we see that Talos was taken hostage. Not one to be fooled though, Fury brought Fairbanks' son in as a hostage as well, claiming no one calls him Nick. The leading argument gets Fairbanks to finally release Talos so that his son doesn't get hurt. Alright, so we'll talk about this here.
1: There's this whole theory out there right now that Rhodey is a scroll because last episode he also calls Fury Nick, Um, and then of course he makes the comment here about no one calls me Nick. But now other people have gone on to debunk that by showing multiple clips throughout, like the Infinity Saga, of like different (laughs) characters calling Fury Nick. Like, so, I was pretty
2: confident that Maria Hills even called him Nick in the past. Yes,
1: right? So I was like, oh, maybe this is something he says. But then we had this moment here, uh-huh. you know, in this episode. It <laughs> was like, okay. It, it definitely, to me, feels like a red herring, at least to me. But we'll talk more about that at the end of the episode, I guess. There is also still the chance
2: that all the people that have called him Nick in the past were all Scrolls. Just, Shh. Just putting that out there. Sure, Christian. (laughs) Maybe you're a scroll. (laughs) Talus and Fury then try to convince Robert Fairbanks to stop Neptune from firing upon the UN's air fleet. Meanwhile, inside the sub, the captain gets his orders and is terrified by the implication of what he's about to do, while you know, his men seem more than ready to go to war. As the sub gets closer in range, Fury begins to get tired of Robert's unwillingness to you know, call off the strike. Fairbanks pokes at Talos' you know, current state, as he claims that Talos is a shell of the general he once was. As Fury begins to get violent, Talos rips the gun away from him and takes charge. The sub then prepares to launch its missiles as Talos attempts to figure out the best course of action here. But when um, Talos brings up Gaia and how you know, he couldn't keep her loyalty, we also see Fairbanks begin to suss out that you know Gaia may be Talos's inside man. Talos, angered by this, shoots Robert and quickly calls Gaia to
1: find the real Robert Fairbanks at the scroll's base and learn the code word. Now, I will say, I didn't feel like Fury was upset enough with Talos here for shooting their only chance to get the fucking you know passcode um you know i mean i understand he was pissed off with him like you know basically figuring out that gaia is his you know inside person but jesus christ he pretty much like doomed everyone to like a nuclear holocaust here (laughs) um i mean this is the second time this episode that we've seen talos like lose control over gaia You gotta figure that it's probably, like, foreshadowing something to come.
2: Gaia then makes her way as quickly as she can through the base and has to take out a couple scroll guards to get to Fairbanks' body. Luckily, she gets there in time to give Talos the the code word, where Talos then pretends to be Fairbanks and immediately calls off the missiles.
1: This was was a little convenient. I mean...
2: (laughs) I'm surprised that she didn't have to, like, absorb the memories. Like, she had to actually just scroll through it.
1: And, like, how does this technology even work? Like, it looked yeah. like she was literally, like, seeing everything through his eyes. So, like, was is there a search bar, you know, on this computer? I don't know, like, in I don't this know if she just figured out to say Zachary. Because,
2: I mean, it, it is a little, like, what, did you try the kid's name? You know, like, kind did, of password.
1: Yeah, but, like. That's not what this scene leads you to believe. <laughs> no, <laughs> it literally feels like she Google searched like subcode like in his brain and, you know, found it. I mean, OK, I mean, it's alien technology, so I, I, I guess that works. As Fury and Talos leave the Naval Command, Fury asks why
2: Talos is not with Gravik on all this, all things considered. But Talos tells Fury the only reason he's not with Gravik is simply because he's still with Fury. We cut back over to Gaia, who's nearly escaped the base, but as she gets on, you know, the road, Gravik turns the lights on his car, getting her to fall off her motorbike. Um, Gaia tries to lie her way out of this, saying that she heard the mission went bad, so she was going to actually go help out. But Gravik claims while the mission would have helped their cause, its true purpose was to weed out the traitor in which Gaia's actions have proved it was her. Gravik tells her to turn around, but in Gaia's last actions of defiance, she makes sure that Gravik looks her in the eyes as he executes her.
1: Now, we pretty much know that she's not actually dead here. You know, the trailers that they released prior to this, you know, series is spoiling that, Um, you know, unless they filmed a bunch of like, unless they filmed a bunch of phony scenes, Um, which I mean, I wouldn't put that past Marvel. Um, I mean, they have like completely like CGI characters out of, you know, Mm -hmm. trailers before, but that just feels a little too extreme, you know, to hide this. So, um... Unless know. it's someone else pretending to be her. You, you know? mean in this scene? Or later no, in on?
2: The, later on, yeah.
1: I don't know. Or could it be the person that she's, like, copied? I doubt it, though, Christian. I mean, <laughs> that feels, like, super convoluted, you know? I will say, if she is dead, I mean, after seeing Talus's reaction to anyone, like, you know, even mentioning his daughter, uh, shit's about to hit the fan. Uh, But... Once again, I, I don't think she's dead because, in you know, in in the trailer, they show her in that machine, too. So, I mean, maybe she super scrolled up before everything mm. went down.
2: You think, like, Extremis probably, like, heals her or some shit after this? Yes, yes. Okay. I think
1: she probably knew she wasn't going to make it out of here alive, and <laughs> she went ahead and powered that up.
2: That makes sense. That does make sense. We close the episode by returning to Vara, who gets a message and then quickly leaves out the house to head to a vault, where she goes to a safety deposit box, which seems to be holding a gun of hers. After which, she gets a phone call on her phone, and she speaks into it, saying that she wants to talk to Gravik, but the voice on the other end tells her where to meet meet up and tells her that she's going to be dealing with him instead one
1: it definitely sounds like roadie on the phone oh yeah hundred percent right they can't
2: they can lie to me with their subtitle of mystery man but yeah no
1: (laughs) i don't think she's you know betraying fury i think she's probably on the way to try to kill Gravik herself Mm. Um, That's my guess. I mean, they would pretty much paint Fury as like the world's worst spy if his fucking, you know, wife (laughs) is the one who betrays him. Uh Um, But I mean, who knows? I mean, they're not, you know, being very flattering to Fury at all, you know, (laughs) this series. So, um, but I mean, it's huge implications if Rhodey is a scroll. I mean, I guess it could be someone just impersonating Rhodey's voice, but why even do that with, uh, you know, Fury's wife, um, scroll. But exactly. I could have been wrong. The real question here is like, how long has Rhodey actually been a scroll?
2: I don't know. I feel like the whole question of like, was what, what has she become in my absence, will just be like, now she's back to being, you know, the best agent she can be, working under Rhodey. Uh, which I mean, I do still like the idea of Rhodey being a scroll, but this. This ending made me feel a little like, OK, it's way too like, yeah, Brody's a scroll
1: by the end of this episode. I don't know, though, because it sounds like Brody's being the middleman for Gravik here. But you think it's just misleading us and yeah. that, you know, he's just basically helping her get to Gravik, Yeah, I just think Could be. he's running his own operation. Could be. Could be. I don't know. I mean, we talked about this before the series even came out that Rhodey being the scroll here would make sense, you know, especially knowing the synopsis of you know Armor Wars, you know, where it's Rhodey trying to, uh, you know, get back basically all the Stark tech, um, you know, that had somehow like fallen into the wrong hands, um, you know. I mean, I mean that would even make more sense if you know Rhodey's been impersonated by a scroll, you know, for a, however long, and you know scroll roadie has like you know dealt out all of you know you know the stark industry secrets um you know whatever he can get his i mean i
2: don't know who was you know holding extremists but it would make sense if like if that was something that was in one of tony's lockers or some shit
1: and that's something that roadie you know gave no out, i mean you're absolutely right because everyone else who had knowledge of it you know pretty much blew up so i mean <laughs> It would be, like, you know, Tony and Pepper Potts. That's it, right? (laughs) So, I mean, I'm sure he's got that shit, like, you know, under lock and key, underneath some serious, like, security protocols. So, like, someone only like Rhodey could get their hands on it. So, I gotta say, I I think this is my favorite episode so far. I mean, we're at the halfway point, which is crazy to think. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to see, like, where this series goes because um, right now I have I have no fucking clue. I'm assuming we're going to get some type of big reveal
2: next week uh, at least explaining Brody's involvement in whatever is going on um, and then you know, I, I don't know what's next for Gravik's plan what does he plan on blowing
1: up next week we'll find out <laughs> <laughs> well join us next week as we break down episode 4 of Secret Invasion.
0: And now for the Nerds review of The Witcher Season 3 Part 1 minor spoilers ahead Neutrality, it won't get you a statue. But it'll certainly help in keeping you alive. I won't abandon, Ciri. Neutrality has consequences too.
2: Embrace. Well, that's deeply worrying. The Witcher Season 3 marks the end of Henry Cavill's time as Geralt, but from what I've seen in part 1, Cavill is doing anything but phoning it in as this beloved character. And so far the cast itself feels like it's you know at its best. But story-wise, there's still plenty of weak moments in the writing that makes the show kind of feel like it's just zooming through the moments and still kinda giving me that slightly hollow feel of a Witcher experience because of it. The season opens up with an episode that really feels like they were trying to cut through all the emotional strife caused by season 2's god awful Jennifer storyline. This didn't bother me per se, but much like the rest of this half, I feel like the characters are moving on from things a little bit too fast and the story itself isn't giving enough time for the heavier moments to breathe. Much of this first half fixes what was undone with season two as far as the relationship between our three main characters. Um, We got a lot more of Ciri and Yennefer this time around with Ciri trying to harness and control her magic. And it's led to a pretty fun dynamic between the two characters of Ciri and Yennefer as Ciri is finally getting to see the probably more dark side of Yennefer in comparison to what she was used to with Geralt and his more heroic and noble heart. But the clashing of these two you know different lifestyles that Siri's is experiencing here we only kind of scratch the surface of this kind of storytelling. I feel like you could really make a whole season on Yen and Siri learning from each other but instead, we fast-track this development and see Yen you know, realizing her wrongs a little too fast. And that's just an example of you know, all the different types of story developments that we're getting throughout this, as there's a, a pretty robust you know, character list here. I mean, even Yaskier, I felt, got a very shoehorned love story out of nowhere in this show. But if you come for the action, I mean, that's always super satisfying with this show. I mean, you Monster Hunting's never felt or looked more fun here in a television series. I still want to see Geralt use a little bit more of his abilities, uh, but I can't complain as far as fights go. The final episode was definitely the strongest as it seems like something I would have played straight out of The Witcher, and the consequences will probably make for an exciting second half. I just want this show to kind of slow down, but I definitely don't feel like that's going to happen at all. I mean, personally, I can't say I would recommend this series for first time watchers but if you have enjoyed any of The Witcher series so far on Netflix, you can still find something to love here in season three. I still enjoy all the characters and all the performances, but this overall is starting to feel more like a guilty pleasure than something that I know is actually good. Um, Part two of The Witcher, season three will be releasing july 27th and i'll give you my final grade right after that and now a quick word from our sponsor manscaped this is a
1: public service announcement manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new weed whacker 2.0 go ahead and tell the world the leaders of below the waist grooming are traveling north of your south pole with their revolutionary grooming products
2: the new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to
1: manscaped.com and using our code 20 nurcho for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped, so why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric Beard Hedger. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother.
2: (laughs) This waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb,
1: and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong. You need to keep an eye out for those tough to trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole.
2: Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news, though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below-the-waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what
1: I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow.
2: Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
0: And now it's time for Christian's Corner. Yeah!
2: So this week in gaming, we were hit with a whole bunch of rumors. Um, one of the biggest actually being the potential release window for Elder Scrolls 6. Um, an, an article by The Verge actually released this week, which, you know, went over the grand battle between the FTC and Microsoft you know all over that Activision Blizzard purchase. Um, But some interesting details that came from that was actually from one of Microsoft's lawyers when the Elder Scrolls brand uh, was mentioned by the FTC. For some reason the lawyer decided to correct the FTC's assumptions about Elder Scrolls and in doing so let it slip that Elder Scrolls 6 is projected for a 2026 release window. Now with Starfield coming out this year it feels kind of soon to hear anything concrete. About Elder Scrolls 6 especially coming within the next three years but that game has been in development for quite some time but a lot of resources really had just been focused on you know the launch of Starfield as far as Bethesda goes Uh, but it's interesting nonetheless that someone has it down at over at Microsoft um, that the game is projected for a 2026 release We also got a big rumor this week about Red Dead Redemption getting a full remake. Now, some reports simply say remaster, others say full-scale remake and like a new engine similar to what we saw with the Resident Evil franchise. Which I think I'd rather have a full remake, but that's just me. Uh, This would come after Take-Two's financial reports um, this year showed Red Dead was on something red dead was actually in the works then this month South Korea's rating board put out a new rating for Red Dead Redemption only adding more fuel to the fire that a remaster of some sort was on its way I mostly want this just because I love the first game and it's a damn shame that there's really not a place to actually pick it up right now for modern consoles Um, both titles are classics in my book and I just love an updated version of the game to play now lastly in the rumor mills um, I wanted to mention another Another potential remaster here. This time coming from Ubisoft, as Kotaku reports, they've learned of a remake of Assassin's Creed Black Flag that is currently in the works. Um, their sources claim that Ubisoft Singapore is heavily involved with the title. But of course, there's no official word from Ubisoft yet. Um, it seems like a safe bet, though, that they would go for you know Black Flag as their next you know remaster in the Assassin's Creed franchise, as it was a big hit for them. I mean, to be honest, probably one of the last times I really had fun um, throwing through with an Assassin's Creed game. Though I haven't played any of the newer titles you know um, since Origins. But speaking of things I have played, I finally finished Jedi Survivor on stream. I really enjoyed the game, but the third act really felt a bit disjointed for me. Um, if you want to catch my like full thoughts on everything that happened in the game, make sure to check out the um, last vod I did in Jedi Survivor, where I finally finished the game and then talked about it a little bit. Also on the channel right now, you can catch my first streams for AEW Fight Forever, which has been a blast of arcade fun so far. Um, I've been playing the story mode on stream and will be continuing this weekend as I take you know one of my old creator wrestlers on his journey through AEW. Um, I will say getting the reversals has been a bit of a challenge for me as they have separate buttons for strikes and grapples. But besides that, it feels like a good space between 2K and WWE's All-Stars, at least gameplay wise. Um, There are definitely some bare bones elements that I wish were more interactive in the story, but I like that there's a ton of attention to detail in this game in general. It feels like a solid base for a franchise if they were to make sequels in the future on top of that a new battle royal mode for the game has been announced in their stadium stampede matches Um, the trailer shown off pretty much just looks like Fortnite, but for wrestling um, which should add a ton of replayability for fans of the game I'm not a big fan of battle royal games myself Um, I just get bored of them really fast so maybe I'll try this one on stream and see how I feel about it and the best way for you to catch that is to make sure that you're following us on twitch right now as we go live every single weekend Um, this week I'll be back in Horizon um, Forbidden West, along with continuing AEW 5 Forever, of course. Um, but with that said, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. Oh, I'm sorry, man. You should be. You can't talk like that. But uh, you know who he reminds me of?
1: Tony Schiavone! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, he's so gross! Uh, classic. All right, so before we get started, a quick show note for our wrestling segment format moving forward. In the past, we would typically do a recap of, you know, AEW Dynamite. But now, since they supposedly have two A-shows, we're going to try to just talk the highlights from both shows weekly. Um, And do kind of like a week in review type deal, I think, you know, moving forward. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not going to be going over every single match. We're just going to kind of talk about, you know, what stood out, you know, to us, um, you know, with AEW every week, you know, and anything else in the wrestling world for that matter. So with that being said... Christian, did you watch AEW Collision this week? Uh, I did finally watch Collision.
2: And I have to say, I do like that little opening thing. Uh, Now that I've actually caught up
1: the last few weeks. uh, Oh, you're talking about the Saturday night main event opening? Yes. Uh Yes, right. (laughs) That's some nostalgic goodness right there. Um, Yeah, it just makes the show feel different, which I like. And, you know, this show definitely feels different. Um, But for me, like this week, not in a good way um <laughs> you know and a, a big part of that you know has to do with just the audience that they had i mean they've been really struggling to sell tickets in canada i guess um and like this crowd did them no favors whatsoever like those people who did buy tickets decided just to kind of sit on their hands um I, I don't remember exactly what part of canada they were in but yeah you know, uh, not the best Hamilton. crowd in Hamilton, not <laughs> not the best crowd in Hamilton. So the show kicked off with MJF basically in a squash match, um, you know, but this is all to lead into a match, an actual match with Ethan Page. MJF got on the mic and issued an open challenge, you know, ridiculing all the people of, you know, Hamilton uh, and, you know, another job guy started to walk out, but behind him was Ethan Page, a very passionate e- Ethan Page, who apparently is a baby face now. Uh, I, I guess. guess on Rampage, he came to the defense of Matt Hardy. Um, so, I mean, they've been planting seeds for a while that, you know, Ethan really does look up to Matt, um, I guess that's all been happening, uh, right underneath my nose, uh, maybe on rampage, because <laughs> I didn't realize like how far along, you know, th- th- this whole program has gone. Like, you know, because I mean, they just faced off against each other right at the pay per view for Ethan Page's uh contract. Yep. Right, that was less than a month ago, but I guess apparently and- Ethan has seen the light now, and you know he's full babyface. Well they
2: had that awkward promo like what a week or two ago um where Matt was like we're going to retrain you to
1: be a better person and uh that's Well I guess how they're really good here. at their jobs cuz I mean <laughs> he seems like a better guy now. Uh-huh. I mean he's seen the light. Uh but yeah, he gave this great speech about being from Hamilton and you know his father and you know I mean, it was it was really well delivered. Um uh, the crowd wasn't as behind it as I would want them to be. Um but like once again, this crowd kind of sucked. Yeah. Especially with like Ethan Page like playing Hometown Hero, you would think that the crowd would be rowdy as fuck for this, but that didn't happen. Like I mean, he got some, you know, cheers, but they felt polite at best. And I don't know if it's just because like people didn't like truly believe that he could beat MJF Um, and like maybe they view, you know, Ethan Page since he's been featured really, you know, a lot on like Rampage and Dark Mm. as, you know, kind of beneath him, unfortunately. Um, But I mean, I don't know, like I would have liked to see them like build up Page more. As this baby face, you know, before he got this moment, but, you know, once again, they were in his hometown. So I guess they just felt like they had to pull the trigger, um, you know, and just thought it was like the perfect opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, But this felt a little rushed. um, And I think, you know, the whole segment like suffered because of that, Um, because it wasn't because of Paige's like delivery whatsoever. Like I thought he killed it on the microphone Um, and I could see him working great as like, you know, a baby face. Um, but yeah, I mean, the match was what it was. Um, there was never a point in the match that I really believe that Ethan was going to win. Yeah. Um, you know, but it was a very like simple, basic match. Um, you know, I, I always have to give MJF credit cause it seems like whoever he's in the ring with, like he always finds a way to get them over. And as like one of like, you know, AW's top guys, he's always very generous Um, so, I mean, I think this was more of that, but I don't know, like, this just didn't necessarily work for me overall, I think. Um, and just because it felt like so out of left field. Otherwise on Collision, I did enjoy the, um, the back and forth between Punk and Jay White. It definitely feels like they're, you know, laying down groundwork for a possible program. Um, we had White mention, uh, Punk's red bag, um, I, I don't want to see punk parading around with, you know, a fake title. You I know, hope that's not what we're getting here. I, you know, I'm, my guess is we're eventually going to see like some kind of like match between punk and MJF you know, like maybe a ladder match with both titles or something like that. Um, you know, it's very typical wrestling, right? Um, who
2: is the undisputed
1: champion, but I don't want to see like punk defending his fake title. Uh, yeah, right Yeah. Exactly. Collision. Like if this is like Tony's roundabout way of having two titles, like I'm hoping that this isn't like Tony's roundabout way of having like two heavyweight titles. Um, cause yeah, I would definitely hate everything about that. um, So hopefully this is just more of a way to, like, you know, build to a feud between Punk and MJF. You know, that's my guess, at least. I mean, that was my first concern when I saw him bring out that red bag the first time.
2: I was like, oh, is there going to be some collision-focused title in there? But I I do get, like, where they're going with, like, oh, no one's actually beaten me for this title. So it does make sense to do some type of title title match with mjf but mm-hmm. i i don't need you know him trying if, if there's ever going to be anything with like collision and a title it at least needs to be something new not like oh we're fighting over this you know another version of the aew world champion
1: why do you ship. think they have the belt and red bag
2: i i don't know
1: really to be honest do but you think they don't want the visual of two heavyweight titles like, could that be the reasoning behind it? Because it is weird that Punk's carrying around the belt in a red bag. <laughs> you know, maybe they feel like it would be little MGF's title to have someone else carrying a world title. You know, I that guess type of maybe, deal. Maybe that will be their way of going back to the belt before
2: the like BBB belt. You know, like. Oh, so do you see Punk actually winning? The title from mjf i don't want that to happen i want someone else to beat
1: mjf in the end um yeah i agree 100 percent. but uh, i don't because know they don't, I, re- they don't really need a reason to mm-hmm. go back to the other title i mean you know whoever gets the title beats mjf or it can just change the exactly
2: strap, but so. you know they love over explaining shit <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true um, I did like the overall visual though of having multiple people there with Jay White rather than just being Juice <laughs> with them. Oh, like, you're having talk- the
1: actual guns with them. Yeah, I think they've got great chemistry. Mm. You know, I know a lot of people hate the guns, and you know, I, I don't think there's much to talk about in the ring. But when it comes to like charisma, um, I think they work really well in the Bullet Club. So I'm kind of digging this faction. I'm not going to lie. And they feel like they're 2.0 for JAS. You know, they feel like that's how they work for this team. They're obnoxious, you know, Mm -hmm. henchmen. So and that's exactly what Jay White needs. Um, you know, not that juice isn't enough, but <laughs> it doesn't hurt to have, you know, a couple more guys, you know, to throw at punk before, you know, he finally gets a match with white. Cause I'm sure that's, what's going to end up happening. Yeah. Uh, we do know that, uh, next week on uh collision, we're going to have juice and white going up against FTR in a, um, what do they call it? The eliminator match. Uh, okay. An eliminator so, tag team championship yeah. match. Okay. I don't know why it can't just be for the tag titles. I mean, I feel like, you know, he's, Jay White, so give him a fucking tag title Mm. shot, you know, at this point, but it is what it is. I hate the whole concept of, you know, the Eliminator match, but, you know, I won't harp on that right now. Um, But yeah, no, um... Besides that on Collision, I mean, we had more of the Owen tournament. Uh, Ricky and Hobbs both, you know, won their, you know, brackets. Uh, so they're going to meet next week, uh, rekindling that feud. And then we do know that Roderick Strong um, lost to Samoa Joe. Um, Punk was on commentary during the match. You know, I thought he was great on commentary. He's always good on the mic. He called Collision fans colliders, and I have big issues with that. No, I love it. I love it. I want a shirt. <laughs> You know, you're a collider, <laughs> oh, um, <God>. but uh, <laughs> no, uh, I thought Punk did a great job of putting both guys over. Um, you could tell, though, he was really hyping up Joe, uh, uh-huh. which makes sense. I mean, it's a great story. The fact that he's never defeated him and everything. And he's, they did have a really epic feud in Ring of Honor. So I'm hoping that, you know, AEW uses a lot of that footage. Now, they didn't really do that on Dynamite this past week. Um, But maybe we get some kind of big, like, you know, promo package before the main event on Mm -hmm. Collider, um, because it feels ridiculous not to use that footage when you have it at your disposal. So, um, but yeah, uh, after the match, after Joe won, um, they shot a whole injury um, angle with Roderick Strong. Um, You know, uh, Joe attacked him, uh, you know, did some kind of brain buster into a chair or suplex or something where his head ended up hitting the chair. Uh, Punk and Adam Cole both came out. Um, I did feel like they were like teasing, you know, a little tension between Punk and Cole, you know, subtly. Um, planting some seeds. Um, so it was like he was following him around the ring, which was very odd, you know? I'm guessing they're going somewhere with that. Mm-hmm. We'll see where that all leads, though. Because um, right now it feels like Punk's feuding with a whole lot of people. So, I mean, he's got Jay White, he's got Samoa Joe, and now, you know, possibly Adam Cole. <laughs> but I feel like, but I don't know, I could see them using the Owen tournament to turn Punk heel, um, especially if, you know, Starks beats Hobbs. Then you have Punk, you know, who I think is obviously beating show, um, going up against Starks in the finals. So, I mean, maybe we see, you know, Punk turn there, um, you know, you know, go back to his dastardly heel tactics to win the match or, you know, maybe lose the match and, you know, turn on Starks at the end. Because yeah, I don't think he needs to win the Owen Hart tournament. No, like, I- absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, but you know who could use that, Starks? No, absolutely. So I mean, I think that's great. I'm glad that they done away with the title belts, uh, for the tournament, and they've got that trophy now mm-hmm. sitting there because that makes a lot more sense. It's an ugly um, belt too. When Britt brought it out on uh, uh, fucking Dynamite this week, really? I didn't think it's that bad. I don't um, like it. I just don't need any more belts, you know, uh-huh. in AEW right now. So I'm glad that it was kind of like a one and done type deal, though. Like, you know, they handed it, they basically like wore the dynamite after uh, the pay-per-view, you know, when they won, you know, the tournament. And that was it. So uh, but yeah, no, a, a cup makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to collision as a whole, uh, this week it was the first time where I felt like they were I don't know. It felt like they were missing something, and I think that something is, like, some more star power. Um, it feels almost maybe a little too isolated from Dynamite, where I'd like to see a little more, like, connective tissue roster-wise, you know, on that brand. Like, I like the pacing of the show, and I like that we're getting, I don't know, less, you know, but longer matches, um... But it just feels like we need a couple more, like, main event caliber wrestlers, you know, showing up there. I know this week we had an MJF, um, but, like, he wasn't even, like, you know, doing his main storyline on the show. I would like to see some of those bigger storylines from Dynamite crossover to Collision, um, if that makes any sense. Well, it's like with four hours of television now, it's like when
2: I see... Feud's not happening like Keith Lee and Swerve. It's like, why isn't that not just moved over to
1: Collision or something like that? Or, or Rampage, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywhere, please. Um, I will say, though, you know, moving on to Dynamite, I did feel like this week they did try to reheat Keith Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was in a very strange and awkward way. Like the way they started the show with like a backstage segment with, you know, Darby and Keith Lee who are on... Opposing teams this week because of the whole blinds. What are they calling it? The blind, blind
2: eliminator
1: tag tournament team tournament, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever. Um, <laughs> but you had Darby who, you know, is on the opposite team once again of Keith and uh, Swerve, basically giving Keith Lee a pep talk, um, you know, saying that he needs to get his head out of his ass. Um, you know, I thought. You know, the promo was well delivered by Darby, but it just felt very strange. Like, why are you trying to hype up your opponent? Like, that makes no fucking sense. I could see it if Keith Lee was about to face off against someone else, but he's literally going against your team. So what sense does that fucking make? I mean, it doesn't go against Darby's character
2: at all. Like, I could see him wanting to fight the most dangerous version of
1: Keith Lee if he wanted, but... But just cutting a promo like this, feel I feel like, goes against his, like, <laughs> character. Like, cutting any promo, like, I don't need Darby on the mic every fucking week. Like, he is getting better on the mic, don't get uh-huh. me wrong, but it doesn't need to become a regular thing. Like, I'm fine with him being the weird emo guy, you know, sulking in the corner, um, I don't know. I don't know. I I didn't need this, you know. I I feel like they could have done this legwork with the commentators, honestly, and that would have been fine. Or just a, a, an interview with Keith Lee, basically saying the same mm-hmm. shit that Darby just said. You know, it's time that you know I refocus. Blah blah blah. That's all you need. Um, but yeah, I I love this match. So I thought it was incredibly fun. Um, I'm hoping. That this leads to Keith Lee versus Swerve, finally. Um, Especially since, you know, the announcers remind us, like, a handful of times that, you know, Keith Lee never really got any kind of revenge on Swerve for putting him on the shelf for, like, eight weeks. You know, but when he uh, fucking stomped that cinder block through his chest. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he basically came back, teamed with, you know, Goldust against Swerve and, you know, his embassy or whatever. And that was... It. I was like, that's not a blow off to a fucking feud, um, especially one that was in the making for so long. You know, it, it really like since both of those guys started the, with the company, you know, at least when Keith Lee came to the company, like they were kind of in, in each other's face like day one. And then we had the whole fucking tag team situation, everything like that. And that felt like just kind of a vehicle to get to their feud. And then it just never happened. Um, I I really feel like there has to be more to that story and exactly like what exactly went down. Um, I'm wondering if there was like some kind of injury situation or something like that, but I I just don't get it. Like, it's very weird to me.
2: Either way, I mean, they have all the makings to do it. Um, Even like for a typical AEW feud, it could be just Keith Lee. Running through the mogul affiliates until he gets to yeah. Swerve. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's...
1: they don't need an excuse to do it at this mm-hmm. point. They just do it. <laughs> you know, especially after this match. I mean, we had a bunch of miscommunication. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith Lee looked like a million dollars. I mean, Darby and Orange are the perfect fucking opponents for him because he just throw them throw left him, and right. Yep. That initial bill on fucking Darby was epic. Yes. Like, it looked like he, like, was about to fall and then just went further, like, somehow. Um, it was insane. So, I mean, th- I think this did a great job of just reminding the audience, like, who Keith Lee is and what he's capable of. um, And just, like, you know, once again, kind of getting that framework of, oh, yeah, you remember, like, Keith Lee and Swerve were feuding for a bit? um, So hopefully they nudged that feud along. um, But with that being said, I was a little perplexed that, like— we didn't get any kind of moment between these two, like, at the end of the match, because I was figuring that we'd have something where, like, swerve in the embassy, like, jump Keith Lee to kind yeah. of, like, you know, kickstart everything again. But they just kind of, like, walked away. I don't know. I don't know. I hope we don't have to wait much longer for this fucking match, because at this point, like, it just feels like a big, like, joke that Tony Khan's playing on all of us. But otherwise, uh, some other highlights from Dynamite, uh, for me at least, was the vignette between Cole and MJF. The bro sessions (laughs) Uh (laughs) felt extremely WWE. Um, And I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because last week I was shitting all over the whole idea of Cole and, you know, MJF teaming up together. Uh, Just because, I mean, Jesus Christ, how many times have we seen, you know, this program before in wrestling? You know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, can they coexist? But MJF is just so fucking good in this weird, like Eddie Haskell role of, you know, being this insincere jerk who's trying to pull one over <laughs> someone and everyone seemingly knows what he's doing, except for the person that, you know, he's, you know, screwing with. Um, you know, I mean, the one difference here is, you know, Cole knows exactly what's happening, but it seems like he's still falling for it anyway. Um, unless he's, you know, working him. Um, but I mean they're so great in the ring together and just, you know, chemistry wise, just on the mic together that I don't know, like I found myself wanting to see this team actually be a thing. And I'm sure that's the fucking plan. And it's gonna just break my heart when it all fucking, you know, blows up, but I don't know. They've won you over. (laughs) Yes. They've absolutely won me over. I just love the one thing that like them is their hatred for Tony Schiavone.
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great moment. But the
1: whole, you know, workout scenario where like MGF is, you know, putting up 300 pounds on the bar and everything like that. And, you know, He goes ahead and asks, you know, Cole, do you want me to take some of this weight off? And Cole's like, no. And he just, like, all of a sudden pounds out, like, you know, 10 reps with no issues. Like, (laughs) I thought that was well done. Um, But I don't know. Like, the whole birthday segment was fantastic. I mean, after the match, which I thought was actually masterfully done, the match itself, where, like, MJF actually got the crowd to cheer for Adam Cole cheating for him. You know, by like, you know, getting yeah. him to like, uh, you know, awesome. hold on to the rope. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. But like after the match, the whole like birthday party thing, um, you know, the the whole like impromptu birthday party for Adam Cole, I thought was fantastic. Um, You know, I was a little worried that like once MJF took the cake in the face and that was going to be the end of all of this. But I'm glad that, you know, MJF was seemingly able to take it in stride and, you know. And seemingly win over Adam Cole. But once again, I feel like it's just a case of Cole working MGF here.
2: Um, no, it you know, feels
1: like an epic battle of 40 chess is going on between these two, you know? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, but they do need to be careful because the audience wants to cheer MGF. Uh huh. And if Cole's the one who turns on MGF, I could see the audience turning on Cole here because like he was mjf was a total fucking baby face. <laughs> like from like his entrance to the very end like uh you know this whole segment like the crowd was just eating all this shit up you know high-fiving him like down to the ring and everything like that like they cheered him the entire fucking match mm-hmm. so they got to be careful um you know, if they want, you know, Cole to remain the baby face and, you know, MGF the heel here. I don't know. It, it, it's going to be interesting. So you got to have MGF being the one who like totally like, you know, stabs Cole in the back and, you know, does something yeah. dastardly to Cole, you know, to get the crowd to hate him again. Like so. you don't think Cole will be the one to take
2: the title, right? Oh, no,
1: no. No, I in don't think it's all good. This, No, yeah. no, I don't think so. No, my guess is we'll get Cole versus MJF at All Out in Chicago. Um, and then before that, we'll see probably MJF versus Punk at All In, you know, the week prior at Wembley. Um, you know, I think we'll see some interaction between Cole and uh, Punk beforehand since they're kind of laying the groundwork you know with this past episode and you know uh for collision um and you know that's kind of where they're going where you know you kind of have a situation where cole's waiting to see who the winner is of you know the all-in match um between the two um you know and you maybe even have a situation where like cole is coming to like mgf's defense against punk or something ridiculous like that um but yeah, no, I, I feel like we'll see MGF at the end of the day, you know, retain, um, you know, this summer, um, you know, you know, and go into the fall as champion still. Otherwise, on the show, uh, we had an interesting segment between Don Callis and Jericho. Uh, Don Callis, uh, Jericho came out a total fucking babyface, um, you know, playing up to the crowd. Uh, they were in Canada, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then Don Callis interrupted to a chorus, a chorus of booze. Yes. Um, It's still amazing how much heat this guy has. Uh, But uh, Callis basically offered Jericho a spot in his family. I thought they did a good job of like running down the history between the two of them. Um, You know, since, you know, they've been close for a long time. Um, just kind of giving context to why this conversation is even happening Um, which I mean makes sense because you know some people like they haven't had many interactions on screen in AEW Mm -hmm. so a lot of people might not realize you know that you know these two guys are close Um, so I mean Jericho at the end of the segment basically gives you know Callis a non-answer and says maybe and walks away Um, as the crowd kind of looked on perplexed, not really knowing, you know, what to make of the situation. Um, I don't know. What, what did you think of the segment and where do you think it's going? I don't know exactly where it's going to head. Um,
2: I was surprised that like, you know, this was something where it's like, oh wow, he's ending, you know, JAS with this conversation alone. You know, like I understand like he wants a big, big change, but I was kept waiting for like, you know, the heel twist during his like whole openings uh, speech. Uh, but yeah, he's he's stuck baby face that entire time. And then I don't know. I don't know what to think of like the family because there hasn't really been outside of Takeshita. We haven't really seen any type of development of like what this family is going to really look like or be like.
1: Yeah, there's been no recruitment, mm-hmm. you know, other than, you know, this segment here. I don't know. I could see this being a situation where Callas does turn on Jericho and we see Jericho go mm-hmm. babyface here. Um, he's been on a huge losing streak, you know, this past year, really, if you think about it. Um, and Jericho's all about, you know, transformation and change. Um, and I think he's kind of reading the writing on the wall and he knows his character is kind of going stale. So it's it's time to shake things up. So I could see Jericho, you know, switching teams, you know, going babyface. Um, later on, we did have a, a backstage segment between Jericho and, uh, Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara. Um, where even like that segment, I felt like Jericho was very much a babyface, you know, telling them that they, you know, eventually have to do things on their own and like, you know, you know, get from underneath, you know, Jericho's umbrella. Um, you know, something that we've never heard Jericho say before, you know, as a heel, you know, to mm-hmm. anyone in JAS. So, I mean, just, you know, two weeks prior, he was pissed off for Guevara even, like, thinking about, you know, leaving him.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: and he was mad at Guevara for not asking for his help. So, obviously, you know, the character, you know, was contemplating, you know, a change. So, we'll see if that actually comes, you know, into fruition. Um Now, with that being said, I could also see a situation where this is Callus trying to recruit Jericho to team up with the BCC along with Takesha in the Blood and Guts match, Uh, especially since, you know, know, Danielson's hurt right now. Um, Is that ideal? No. Um, Do I understand why they would book it that way? Yes, just because I'm guessing that, you know, since they're losing a little star power— Without you know Brian Danielson, that you know Tony Khan would see Jericho as a good replacement. I mean, Jericho's been in every blood and guts match, um, and you know, you could still do a Jericho turn here, like if you know Jericho ends up losing the match for the team or something like that, you could have Callis and you know. The Black Blackpool Combat Club turn on Jericho and that could kickstart, you know, his baby face turn also. But anyway, I did find all this pretty intriguing. Um, I like that it's a new wrinkle for Jericho um, and that we could be possibly getting a new chapter for the character. Because um, even though I'm usually a Jericho defender, you know, because he's got a lot of naysayers out there, um, I do see that the character's grown stale and you know he needs some kind of change um but like i felt like you could kind of see that in the tea leaves with you know just the losing streak he's been on Mm -hmm. um you know since really like the end of last year there's just no more magic in the wizard (laughs) he's got to find that magic again
2: uh small things that came out on uh dynamite for me was uh the nick wayne promo that they did i thought i really thought that was cool that they
1: you know really are pushing him forward i think it's gonna be exciting to see his first match next week i was surprised at first because when they said to be continued i was like oh okay so he's not wrestling next week because i I figured oh they're gonna do another you know Mm -hmm. promo package again um And then, like, eventually we'll get the match. But I guess we're going to get that promo package and a match next week. I I guess so.
2: (laughs) Also, I thought uh, Jungle Boy's performance was a little bit better this week. Uh, In the back. It was like, it was probably really scripted, but it it felt better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's not great on the mic. Um, And I'm going to give him a pass for last week. It's his first heel promo and everything Uh, like that, but he could definitely use a mouthpiece. Um, Like, I get, like, not wanting to, like, do anything drastically different with a character right off the bat. um, But he's another person who definitely needs a change, Um, you know, so I I don't know, you know, I'm guessing they're probably going to do some kind of, like, Hollywood gimmick or something like that mm -hmm. with him. Uh, which makes sense, Uh, you know, maybe cut that hair, you know, dare I say. (laughs) (laughs) I could also see them, like, bringing Anna Jay into the act. I mean, everyone hates, like, real-life couples in wrestling, Mm -hmm. you know, on-screen couples in wrestling, I should say. I mean, that worked for Sammy. Right? uh, (laughs) Even though they were trying to go face with it. Uh Uh-huh. So, I mean, yeah. No, I could see her being part of the act, absolutely, Mm -hmm. so— Otherwise, like I was glad that Ruby, uh, won her own heart tournament match against Brit. Um, you know, not the best match in the world. They definitely had better showings. Um, but it is what it is. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know who's going to win this tournament. I'm worried that sky Blue's going to beat Ruby here. They've really I, been I think building blue is going to
2: win the tournament.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got that feeling too. um, I just don't know if she's ready yet. Um, And I love Ruby and I just, I don't know, man. You know, she'll be fine losing this tournament. Mm. I was just hoping they'd do something big with her. Um, But, you know, they they must feel like they have something special with Sky Blue to be pushing her as hard as they are right now. I just don't know if she's put it all together in the ring yet. Um, So we'll see. You know, I'm not completely sold on her 100% right now like i do feel like she's got tons of potential and i feel like she's going to eventually get there but she still feels a little green to me see the finals would either
2: be pretty much sky blue versus athena or it'd be ruby soho versus willow nightingale and if i mean putting it that way because ruby and willow have you know history i could see that happening as well
1: yeah i would much rather have willow win like if someone has to go over on ruby i would much rather have it be willow Because I feel like she's ready. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they need to pull the trigger on her. Because, I mean, she's completely over with the crowd. And she does have it in the ring. So they need to do something with her. So, I mean, at least give her the Owen Cup. I mean, I feel like that would be a big moment for her. And they could really use that to, like, catapult her to the next level. But other than that, we had the main event. Which saw the return of Kenny Omega after, you you know, nursing his injuries last week. Go up against Willer Yuta. Um, I thought this was a fantastic match. Uh, Much like MGF, I mean, Kenny Omega is so giving in the ring. He really made Wheeler look like a million dollars. Oh, yeah. There's Um,
2: multiple times where it seemed like Wheeler could win.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, and Kenny did such a great job of, like, you know, subtly selling all of his injuries, you know, and everything. Mm. Um you know, but he always does it in a way that makes sense, which I appreciate. Um, But yeah, no, I thought this was a great match. Um, and I figured that, that this was going to happen at some point, especially after Wheeler got the pin on Kenny uh, at the pay-per-view. Um, so I'm glad that they did a rematch and that there was like some follow-up because sometimes AEW kind of forgets to do the follow-up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But it is what it is. Uh, But after this match, uh, we had, well, during this match, we actually had uh, Takeshita come out and interfere uh, with Don Callis distracting Kenny Omega. I actually thought, like, you know, Wheeler was going to pin,
0: you know, Omega, but, you know,
1: that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw Kenny overcome the odds and eventually hit the one-winged angel on Wheeler, and that was it. Um, After the match, uh, he got jumped by Claudio uh, and I believe Takeshita. Which, of course, brought, you know, the Elite down to make the save. Right at the end, as Hangman was about to hit, I believe, Claudio with the chair, uh, we had the Dark Order come out and grab the chair from Hangman. And then uh, the feed got cut. (laughs) So I think they just kind of ran out of time um, because it felt like there was supposed to be a little more there than what we got, uh, and they did actually release some of that footage, I, I believe, on EEW social media um,
2: page. Yeah, because so. I think on uh, Fight TV or whatever, they had the recording continue going because it doesn't cut at the usual spot. Yes, right, because they don't even have the commercials on Fight, right? No, yeah. So I saw yeah. the whole awkward moment of like them standing on the outside of the ring and like yelling at Hangman. They still end up kicking um, Claudio in the face, but I don't really like them taking the chair out of hangman's hands i don't really get how that would work for their
1: you know angle that they're going with right now yeah like why would they give a shit yeah about hangman hitting claudio with a fucking chair like like the bcc's fucked them up how many times in exactly the past? exactly <laughs> like maybe let hangman take out claudio and then jump hangman <laughs> right. yeah so it was a little weird and awkward um Uh, we do know that this was all to set up a match between the Elite and the Dark Order on Rampage. So, um, and I have not read the spoilers yet, so I have no idea how that turned out. So I'm glad that they're at least giving closure to the storyline between Hangman and the Dark Order. Um, I'm hoping, I've said this a lot about a lot of the roster, you you know, this week, but I'm hoping that this is a new chapter for the Dark Order because they have also grown really stale. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe it's time for them to have a heel turn, uh, finally. So, um, but I mean, if you think about it, like this story between Hangman and the Dark Order, I mean, this goes all the way back to like the early pandemic days. Yeah. So, um, yeah, which is a good three years at this point. Like this Mm -hmm. is early AEW shit right here, right? (laughs) Because they were trying to recruit him with uh, Brody Lee, when Brody Lee was, uh, you know, the leader of the group. So, um, yeah. It's you know, been a while. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad that they're at least, you know, once again, like giving closure to the storyline, hopefully. Um, I'm just curious to see where this all goes. But like I mentioned before, uh, they did announce that both teams, the Elite and the BCC, are going to have mystery partners for the Blood and Guts match. Um we don't really have a clue exactly who's going to be filling in for Brian. Um, I'm starting to think it's Jericho. Could it be one of the Dark Order guys? Maybe. Maybe, but what? I don't want Johnny Hunky in a blood and guts match <laughs> with the team. I I could see um, I could see Evil Uno, you know, maybe being part of it. We've we've seen a more maybe. vicious side of you know Evil Uno, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be a little lackluster, right? Um, I feel like Jericho would be a bigger name because otherwise I don't know who would be. Um, And we did have Moxley like cut a promo talking about Kingston and they did make mention too that, you know, Kingston won't be able to partake in the match since he's going to be in the G1 in New Japan, Mm -hmm. which I totally forgot about uh, last week. So um, now when it comes to the elite side, you know, all signs really, you know, point to Kota Ibushi right now. Um, and I guess, like, once the camera stopped rolling, Kenny did cut, like, a promo hinting at Coda. So it seems like that's probably where they're heading here, which would be absolutely huge. Um, you know, people have been dying to see, you know, Ibushi, you know, in AW since, like, day one. So, I mean, he was even part of the first All-In. Right. Uh, So, I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll see if that actually takes place. If, you know, Tony can get the job done and lock him down to like some kind of long-term contract, even though we know that, you know, he's not a big fan of, you know, big contracts apparently. So um, we'll see because he would be a major player for AEW to, you know, to grab. So um, yeah, but unless you get something else, I mean, that's really, I think all the highlights for this week in AEW, uh, But, you know, I don't watch Rampage. (laughs) There's just too much fucking wrestling on at this point. We know you're a dedicated collider at this point. I am. I am. I'm going to get a shirt, Christian. Wow, oh, my God. Well, that does it for this
2: week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're
1: there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow.
2: Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com.
1: And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, Content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com
2: to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more.
1: And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian.
2: And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
0: kind of
1: prefer Marvel movies. We are Marvel. Yeah, but, you know, you're Marvel licensed by Fox.
0: It's like if The Beatles were produced by Nickelback. It's music, but it sucks. Hey, that's it. I'm done.